those are those are prayers, right? So we're asking God to, to look at our hearts and uh, His ways, and not our own. Those are prayers, and, and that the Lord is faithful to answer those prayers. But those are also serious prayers because that means He might want to do things that might uh, go against our flesh, which is a joy. But we just ask the Lord to give us the grace to see it as a joy. Hey guys, let me pray for us. Um, and then I um, want to encourage you that as we, as we continue our, our series on, on ecclesiology, uh, that you can ask questions uh, as we are going through the text. I uh, want to encourage you to grab a Bible. We're going to be going through uh, Galatians 5. Uh, so you might want to be looking at uh, the scriptures so that you're, you're building your, your conviction of, of going through the text. And also you're building your conviction from the scriptures and not just uh, trying to hear somebody talk, you know. So I just want to encourage you with that. If you need a Bible, uh, you can raise your hand. There's Leon and Mike passing them out. Uh, so that's no problem at all. And you can even write on your, on your program. You can turn on the back and, and uh, write information on your program, guys. With that said, let me pray, okay, guys? Um, Lord Jesus, we, we thank you so much. And we do pray uh, uh, that the extension of your kingdom will, will begin first in our own lives, uh, that you would have our allegiance, um, you would rule us, you would reign uh, in us, um, that you would truly be our Lord and our King and also our Lamb. And, and Jesus, we pray that today, would you, would you do something, would you, would you allow what we're talking about to sink so deep in our hearts that it would bring life change? We pray as we're learning about what does it mean when we talk about the study of the church, Lord, we ask you, Holy Spirit, bring glory to Christ by allowing this not all just to be information for these weeks, but we ask that you would be using this to form our body. Have your way, Jesus. Would you speak through me by your grace? Uh, my words are, are nothing without you, Lord, and we need you. In Christ's name, amen. Uh, we have uh, gone through uh, the mission of the church. Uh, which we basically talked about, like, how, how do we get here? Uh, we've done the nature of the church. What are the key identity factors of us knowing if we are uh, a true church or not? We've done church government, uh, understanding basically the fences, the parameters that God allows us to actually extend his kingdom in. Uh, we talked about church membership, all of our roles, and what does it mean to bring glory to Christ? How do we maximize God's glory uh, in these local expressions and also universally? Uh, we talked about uh, church discipline, uh, understanding that the reality is God has done a work in us, uh, but there is an old sin nature that constantly cries out. And, and what happens with us as a church as God has called us um, to keep holiness in the camp? And how do we do that accurately? How do we do that in a way that honors the Lord? Uh, we've talked about uh, the word in the church, understanding that there's all kind of things that are revealed to us in the world. Uh, but that basically the Holy Scriptures is where we get our blueprint. The Holy Scriptures, when you are deciding on what we need to be about, this is the supreme authority of revelation to God. Right? The Lord has given that to us. Uh, and we talk about the sacraments um, and the church. Understanding the, the mystery of God's grace uh, in, us reminding, in, in us reminding ourselves of what Jesus has done on who we are celebrating that reality um, and really allowing those things to continue to solidify us as a celebratory family, that we are a family and that the sacraments are an expression of that as we get to experience God's grace through them. We talked about a lot of stuff, a lot of applications each week, 
lot of information. And then I was convicted. Like, man, how do you do all this? Right? So we got all these, we got all these things we need to do now each week. Uh, we got ways, and we talked about how to be a good member. Right? We talked about uh, how to do good government. Uh, we, we talked about, you know, how to get in the word. How do we consensually do these things? And, and so this is really a discussion uh, about ecclesiology for sure, right? But make no doubt about it. This is really a discussion about how you do the Christian life. And so I want us not to miss that, that we're talking today about what does it mean for us to try to do what we said, okay, I agree to that. You know, every week you guys be like, that's awesome. That's cool. I never, I never knew that before. I, I want to do that. I'll do that. Okay, well, how do we do this? And I want to start by saying the way we do this is, is by bringing up an example of a guy that I just, um, I'm so glad I had an honor of meeting and has been probably one of the most uh, prominent figures in the Christian uh, world and probably in the last couple of centuries, um, uh, Dr. Bill Bright. Uh, he, he, he said something uh, when he was alive. Uh, someone asked him, if you had an opportunity, I don't read into this, I'm not, I'm not trying to make a, a theological statement, but I am trying to make an issue of importance. He said, somebody said, hey, if you had an opportunity, Dr. Bright, he was the, the founder and the president of the Campus Crusade for Christ, right, which is probably the largest Christian organization next to the Catholic Church uh, in the world. Uh, he said, said uh, if you had an opportunity to present the gospel to someone um, or tell them about the power and understanding of yielding and the fieldness of the Holy Spirit, which would you do? And he said, I would tell the person about the relationship with the Holy Spirit. And the guy said, wait a minute, you wouldn't, you wouldn't share the gospel with them? He says, no. He says, see, if a person gets the gospel but doesn't understand their relationship, how to appropriate the person and work of the Holy Spirit in their life, you, you, you begin to live defeated Christianity. And that person might not even understand how the kingdom expand, share their faith. But if you tell a person who understands what Christ has done on the cross and you help them understand what does it mean to be filled with the spirit, to walk in the spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity, that person, he says, I guarantee you, they'll lead many more to Christ. They'll see God's kingdom extended in their own lives and in the lives of others. He says, yeah, strategically, for maximizing God's glory, I'll tell the person about the Holy Spirit. Now, there's a debate, and I don't think, I don't think the, my, my issue with Dr. Bright wasn't is that right or wrong, but I thought at least I could be teachable enough to say, man, when I think of Scripture... At the least, we can say, that shows you the importance of the Holy Spirit. At the least, we can say, oh, my goodness, you got this Christian leader who will put himself out there like that with ridicule to say, I tell people about the Holy Spirit. So that's what we're going to do. I realized, like, man, how are we going to do all these things without talking about the person and work of the Holy Spirit? If we do that, I'm teaching you how to be moral people and not how to walk in the spirit, not how to please God. But we want you to please God. So 
Let's open up the scriptures and let's talk about this, okay? And let's talk about the Holy Spirit. And, I'm, and I, what I want to do is we're going to, I want us to paint a picture of the Holy Spirit, gain some understanding, um, understand some theological treaties. And then from there, I want to parse out how it applies to ecclesiology, all right? So we're going to start um, just first by saying, you know, first and foremost, if you don't know much about the Holy Spirit, he is the third member of the Trinity, Okay, you have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and so there's this thing in the Bible, a theological framework called the Trinity. Uh, it's not said in the Scriptures, but what's happened is theologians has has done a, a cursory, a very clear understanding, and looked through the Scriptures and realized that there's some certain aspects that we see in in three persons in the Bible. All right, and they came up with this view called the Trinity, and the Trinity basically says that there is uh, there's one God. All right. One God in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, three distinct persons, and each person is fully God. So when you talk about the Holy Spirit, you're not getting any less of God than when you're talking about the Father. And when you're talking about Jesus, you're not getting any less of God when you're talking about the Father or the Holy Spirit. But that each one is fully God, but they're in distinct persons, but they're all, they're one. And the one thing I want to tell you is when you think about the Holy I mean, you think about the Trinity, I want to encourage you, it seems that the Bible's posture is for you not to sit around and, and jump out of a window trying to figure out how that all works. It seems that the reason why the Father has allowed us to even see his character in that way is to help us understand relationship. Is that the focus of the Trinity is for you to understand the relationship to the Trinity. That you have these three distinct persons who are one and they're not fighting after each other. They're not jealous of each other, but there's a big fireball of love. And all together, what they do is they honor one another. But at the same time, they're all fully God. And I want to propose that's the framework that he wants to give us when we talk about the unity and diversity in marriage. When we talk about the unity and diversity in the church. Is that he wants you to understand relationship. He wants us to leave here and go, we are one just like Jesus says we are one in him. John 17 just says he is one with the father. But we're not one. There's not just one person in here. But he says, when we understand the concept of us giving and deferring to each other and loving each other in a radical way, and, and you not just wanting yours, and I'm not just wanting mine, but Josh freely gives to me, and I freely give to Josh, and, and we all have these different ways of thinking, but we all celebrate each other. God says, when the world sees that, they see oneness. And they see unity and diversity. Just like the Holy Spirit and Jesus and the Father. We're that diverse, but they're united. So the Holy Spirit is a third member of the Trinity. He is fully God. You get no less of God when you talk about the Holy Spirit. In fact, his position, his role, I propose, uh, we know to bring glory to Jesus Christ. And the way he does that is by being a helper and an empower. Let's look at some scripture verses. Look what it says there. It says, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of water, um, out of the water. At that moment, heaven was open and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and, uh, uh, <coughs> excuse me, and alighting on him. 
Uh, and a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. So we see him, he, he empowers, as it were, the son of God, right, in the inauguration of his ministry, right? He empowers them also at the resurrection. Look what the scriptures say. In Romans 8, 10, and 11. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Holy Spirit who dwells in you. So that's interesting to me, that the way God would raise from the dead is by God empowering God to rise, you know what? That should seal our confidence in his abilities in essence. You hear me there? The, God saw it that the way God would bring glory to his name is by God raising God from the dead with God. Okay? Why is that important? Because he's trying to help you and me understand something. We're in this world, and he's saying, if... If God can raise Jesus from the dead, then is it crazy for you and I to think that the Holy Spirit isn't powerful enough to guide you in your life, to empower you, to help you through hard circumstances? You know what Jesus says? Well, guess what? He rose me. He empowered me. I think he can empower you. That's the whole point, is that he wants to model something, that the Holy Spirit has enough power for you. In fact, way more than enough, right? See, that should give you hope. That should give us excitement. That now he says, okay, that's what the Holy Spirit did in inauguration and resurrection. And that's what he's going to do in renewal in your life. And the Spirit goes on and says in the scriptures that he actually fills us. And the same, the same Spirit that rose Jesus Christ from the dead lives in those who call Jesus their king. The scriptures say. But we have a problem, guys. Let me, let, me try, let me step back a little bit. Here's what's happened. The Bible says that you and I, we can't enter God's kingdom unless we are born again, the scriptures say, right? Uh, that John, uh, verses 5 through 8, it says, Jesus answered, truly I say unto you, truly, truly, I say unto you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Right? And he talks about being born of flesh is flesh and was being born of spirit is spirit. And he goes on. Okay. And so what's beautiful about that is we've just talked about who the spirit is, what he does, what he does in those who call, who call Jesus their king. But what I love about it is all of it happens through a work of grace. Okay. God tells us in John 3 that you can't just rebirth yourself. You can't just be born again. Right. You can't just become good. He's talking to Nicodemus, a Pharisee, a guy who's exceeded the heights of the ecclesiastical ladder, right? He's reached religious, social prominence. And yet he says, you can't be born again. It has to happen to you through the Holy Spirit. Look what John uh, 6 says in verses 63 and verse 65. I'm just, going to, I'm going to skip down to 65. You can read it on your own as it's, while it's up there. He says, he went on to say, this is Jesus. This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the father has enabled him. Here's, here's the point I'm trying to make. 
is that the Bible wants to make something extremely clear for you and me as we do this life. And that is, is that God is saying there's nothing you've done to receive salvation. There's nothing you've done to receive the beautiful work of God's grace as seen in the Holy Spirit. There's nothing you and I have done. That what God does is that he takes, uh, 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 the Bible says in, in Ezekiel, he takes a messed up, dirty, hard, submit heart. And then what he does by his grace is he peels it and gives you a heart of flesh. He gives you a new heart and a new identity. Nothing you've done. Why do I keep harping on this? If that's true, if God has given us a new heart, God has initiated and God is the one who's given us the Holy Spirit to live out this new life, then how do we practically live out this new birth? Okay? We understand who the Holy Spirit is. We understand what he said he's done. Okay, so then what does it look like to practically live out this new life, this new birth? Of those of us who said, Jesus, I love you. I want to walk with you. We're going to look at Galatians 5. If you can turn to Galatians 5 with me, that'd be great. Galatians 5, and start in verse 13. Look what the scriptures say, family. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. This is, the whole book is about, is about Paul, uh, an apostle who's, who's seen Jesus. He, he loves Jesus, realizes that, man, I've been persecuting the church, but now I realize, man, that Yahweh, that the God I was serving, Yahweh actually is revealed in Christ, changes his whole platform, and now he's trying to teach people how to live in freedom just as he's been freed. And he's in this discussion here. And he says, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Don't miss that. Verse 14, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. But if I say, but I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the the works of the flesh are evident. They're clear as a bell, right? Sexual morality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness orgies and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law, the scriptures say. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. If we say, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. I'm going to propose to you the way we live out this new birth is through the last passage in verse 25. He says, if we live by the spirit, let us keep in step with the spirit. He says, hey, this is how you live out this life. He says, realizing when he says, if we live by the spirit, that's, that's not poetic. That's literal. He's saying, guess what? How you and I live by the spirit, 
the reason why you're alive is because of the Holy Spirit. If you have been, as it were, an opposition would be, if you have been now made alive because of the Holy Spirit, right, then you should be keeping a step with the Spirit. You should be walking with the Spirit. That the key to you and I, the way we're going to do what we are asked to do by the Lord in ecclesiology, the way we're going to live a life of victorious Christianity, is when you and I learn by God's grace how to walk in the Spirit. What does it mean to walk in the Holy Spirit? And it's interesting, this passage, the picture for me is one, look at that, it's one in which it's kind of like, you know, if it's a picture of a dead guy um, who's, been, who's been killed uh, by their flesh. Say your flesh has, is a person and, or Satan because he hates you. You're two guys, Satan and your flesh, right? And they're standing over your dead body and they've just slain you. Okay, Um, and then Jesus comes over and he gives you life. The picture that sadly we give and what he wants us to do is because Jesus breathes life in you. He wants you to get up and go, wow, thanks for giving me life. Give me your hand because you're my life giver and you walk off. Instead, what happens is Jesus breathes his life in you and I. And a lot of times we get up and we look at Jesus, we say thanks and then we grab Satan's hand. And we walk off with the flesh. And so his point here is, hey, no, no, no. If you live by the Spirit, then you should be walking with me. How you going to grab his hand? He killed you. How does this inform our ecclesiology, family? Because this is so important for our Lord. And I mean, I'm so convicted by the sense of Lord, would you continue to teach me how to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit? Let's just go through some pieces of the passage, okay? Notice in verse 16 what the scriptures say. We're going to look at verse 16 and look at verse 25 and look at what's going on there. He says, but I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. You see that? And then if you jump on down to verse 25, it says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. You notice something there? You notice a walk occurs in both, right? And notice that the opposite of walking, have you noticed that in the text? What's the opposite of walking by the Spirit? Right? It's giving into the desires of the flesh. You see that? See that in the text there, guys? Right? Here's the thing. He's like, guess what? The nature, our nature, our old nature does not like the things of God. Okay, we prefer satisfaction from independence. We prefer satisfaction from power. We prefer from prestige and worldly pleasures, being esteemed by others. You name your vice. That's what feels good to you and to me. He says that's an absolute opposite to what I'm asking you to be about, to the hand I'm asking you to grab. Right. Now, notice something. You go and look at verse 17. He says, for the desires of the flesh, all right, are against the spirit. If you didn't believe me, verse 17. And the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, look at this, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. See, you go, well, well, and some of us, you know, we look at that, including myself, and we go, well, no, (laughs) sometimes I want to do that. Right, so the, so verses like this they weird us out, right? Because maybe they find us out a little bit. But 
what, 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 what Jesus is trying to say through Paul to us is that when you, we are walking with the Spirit, you know, why, why, when we're walking with the Spirit, the Holy Spirit does something powerfully in our hearts where literally God's passions and desires and the things of Jesus become, the, those desires actually become stronger than the desires of your flesh. See, that's an evidence of God's grace because what God is saying is that you always will give in to what's strongest. Now, I say that, but let me just, and, and, and I see this a lot, you know, especially as a man, you know, brothers, you know, we, we repent of, of different aspects of, of, of sin, sexual sin, and things of that sort. And what we have to do is we have to recapture um, a healthy theology of works by enablement versus works for enablement. Especially when we're talking about walking by the Spirit. Because, see, if you ever think... Have you ever done this? You've sinned and you start thinking, man, wow, really messed up. And you go, man, I don't think God's going to bless me now. I don't think, I don't think this one thing I wanted, I'm going to get now. Um, or, you know, or, oh, you know, I'll get back in the saddle when I start doing that. Then I think God is going to empower me to dot, dot, dot. A lot of times we can have a theology where it's like we work uh, and we don't do it by enablement, but for enablement. We say, Lord, I'm going to walk. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to do all these really important, very important good things so that you will empower me. I want to say that's really faulty, scary theology. Weird, unbiblical thinking about Jesus. Because that's not the posture in the text. The posture in the text, the reason why I spent those times in John 3, you're like, hey, okay, I get it, I get it. We're, God did it all. Jesus empowered me. Jesus birthed me. No, 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 no. If we really believe that, then we understand something. We don't do good works because we can. The Bible says, in me dwelleth no good thing. So that means only time when I'm trying to even say no to sin, that's by God's grace. When I sin and feel bad, that's by God's grace. And so it's not about, oh, man, let me, okay, man, I messed up. Now I get it together, and then God will, now and I really be walking to the Lord, and God will infuse me, and it'll be awesome. No, 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 no. See, you're still in the picture. But God is saying that we have to recover a robust understanding that everything we do, when we talk about being filled with the Spirit and walking by the Spirit, we first have to recover that everything we do is because we're enabled by God to do it. So every aspect of any work, any good work, is because God has enabled you. So we're able to do it. Whatever that is, is not, it's because of the Spirit. It's not in order to get the grace of the Spirit. Look at this, look what it says in uh, Romans 8, verses 6 through 8. For to set uh, the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. Verse 7 says, for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's laws. law. Indeed, it cannot. It cannot, family. Those who are in the flesh cannot please Jesus, cannot please God. See, when you and I realize that, man, there's nothing I can do. Your prayer 
and your confession, it, it should change a little bit. When we pray and we confess our sin, there should be more thankfulness to the fact that we're confessing our sin. There should be more thankfulness to God's grace. There should be a little more about, and, and here's, here, here's where I've, I'm learning in my own journey. Here's where I'm realizing that I'm recapturing. I feel like God is giving me the grace to say, how do I counsel people and counsel my, and, and be in counsel um, as I fight the fight of faith? I think sometimes biblical counsel should seem in the flesh, you are helpless and God is the only hope. I think that actually looks weird in, in, in church. I think to not have the answer seems weird. And it seems um, what happens a lot of times is people could come to you. Could be like, all he says is, I'm going to keep praying for you. I need some help. Right? Don't just be praying for me. Do something. Or all you keep doing is, is, is giving me spiritual mumble. You, you point me to the Bible. You point me to Jesus. You point me to Jesus. But I want to propose when we can recapture a robust understanding that God has to do it, that's all we can do. That should be the framework. Can we talk about anatomic issues, you know, and, 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 and psychological issues? Absolutely. But I want to propose that most of your counsel should be there's nothing in you that's going to make you just do this now. We got to ask the Lord. The Lord has to do it. He has to enable you. He has to fill you. But I've gone to the Lord, Eric, 130,000 times on this issue. And he still has not delivered me. That's faith. We don't like that. We don't like that. That's the journey. That's the hard life. That's the Christian life of going, Lord, I still believe you can. I still believe you desire to. I, just, I still believe you want to. I still know that without you, I can't do this, Jesus. Is that our posture? That we go 131,000 times and we just say, no, there has to be another method. There has to be a way to do this in the flesh. No, I'm going to get to that. We do. But what I want to pause in is that I want to say that's the fourth thing on the list. And that we usually put that way up here. He was asking, are we a participant at all in walking with the spirit? I want to say, yeah, but God's posture is, you know what? And it's not worry about you for right now. Let's talk about me. That's God's posture. Is that we talk about you too much. So now I want you to focus and focus on what the Holy Spirit has done. And after that, we can talk about what you're supposed to do. Garrett. Good question. This verse here in particular. Good question. Does anyone want to answer that? The question is, is this a one-time thing or are we continually, continual renewal, renewed? You guys have a passage?
the beauty of the tension, right, is that the scriptures are, are extremely clear that we work out our salvation in fear and trembling, the scriptures say. While at the very same time, God says that we have been fully justified, right, that God has done it all. And so we live, as we try to make very clear in this local body, you live between, right, new creation and restoration. I'm sorry, restoration and new creation. And we're here. We're newly created, but God is still doing something in all of creation. And so we live in that tension. And, and I, I think I would be remiss as your pastor, and if Leon, he would be remiss as, as your pastor, we got up and we tried to take that tension away because the Bible doesn't. You know what? And I'm, I'm not going to, I'm, I'm tired of trying to do it. So, there you go. Um, really good question. Difficult. And it's really difficult because we want victory. We want to see God do stuff in our life. And he can, and he does, and he will. And I just want us to pause and, and, and get our minds off the sin we're trying to conquer or whatever we're trying to do. And put our mind on whom we're trying to, whom we're supposed to be loving. It seems that the Bible's posture is your affections being pointed to a Christ, your adoration being pointed to a Christ, and in that, your desires are now more excited about Him than the other thing. He's doing something in you. Okay. So let me, I want to keep going because I want to get to uh, Josh's great uh, question, very important question. What do we do? So let me keep going, guys. Uh, I want to, so, so basically when you look at Ezekiel, he talks about this. He talks about this fulfillment piece, right? That this is what God has done. He's given us these new hearts. He's taken the heart of stone away, given us a heart of flesh. Uh, that's what he talks about in, in Ezekiel. Uh, and I want to share it for a moment. Have you noticed um, that when you look at the passage, uh, there's a difference between, I love that he talks about works of the flesh, right? Uh, but then he calls uh, the works of the spirit, spiritual fruit. You notice that? He didn't call them a work of the, you know, he didn't, he didn't say like you, works of the flesh and works of, I don't, you know, he didn't say works there. I love how he calls them fruit. Have you noticed that? That's very interesting to me. I wonder if there's a continual posture, Josh, as you, as you are alluding to, of him just trying to pause from us going too quickly to what should I do? He's like, no, 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 Because guess what? The, first of all, two things, the fruit of the spirit, I love that. It's a sense of like, no, I don't want you to focus on what you're going to do, but I want you to see that the things that happen in you are because of this fruit. It's almost like a, the natural reaction from what the spirit has done in you versus the works that are fresh are from you. I love that sense of just that continual focus. And we're talking about walking by the Spirit, guys. And let's look at uh, a couple more passages in uh, this passage of, of, of Galatians 5. Notice, so he says in verse 16, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And then he says in verse 18, But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Um, which, now we're talking about works. We're getting a little more to what we need to be about. And I just want to... Help us understand when he says you're not under the works of the law. Like, what, is, what does that mean? You know, there's probably three frameworks behind you not you and I not being under the works of the law. Those who love Jesus, right? Uh, first, we're not under the works of the law because of Jesus. Because what Jesus did was he fulfilled the law, right? By by being filled with the Spirit and living a life that we could not live. Uh, that's what he did. And by in doing that, fulfilled the law. 
Secondly, as you look at these verses, this doesn't get a lot of airtime, but it's very clear biblically. Secondly, is that God is saying, because we have the Holy Spirit, we actually now obey the law of Christ. So there's a component that one of the ways you're not, you're not under the law is because you actually are recapitulating, retelling Jesus' story by fulfilling it yourself. Right? You become a Christian, not to just wild out and say they ain't got no rules no more. You become a Christian to be a law-abiding citizen. Right? So he says, hey, you actually now have the Holy Spirit. And now when you love, like Jesus loves, you're fulfilling the law. Hallelujah. Finally, the beauty of it is not just you and I, we just these, you know, kicking and screaming to the kingdom of heaven. Don't want to do nothing for Jesus, but kind of like, well, you don't want to save me, so I guess I'll go. Right? That's not the posture in Christianity. The posture is that, man, you fall in love with Jesus. And now he says, you're not under the... the the burden of the law in the sense that you actually like to do what God does. You see that? See, when, you're, when your kid obeys because he actually likes, likes you, that's the biggest, that's the coolest thing as a parent. That's the coolest thing is when you, they just go, this is what I've been taught to do. There's joy in this, right? I know all of us know we're young in our parenting. It takes time. I know that. But there's joy, right? So that was just, just for you, when you look at that, that word, I wanted to parse that a little bit. But now I'm going to focus. Notice what he does in that text there in verses 16 and 18. He, he, uh, he, he, he noticed the shift, walking by the Spirit and being led by the Spirit, right? I want to say what he's doing there is he's doing what now we need to talk about. Is he's showing being led by the Spirit stresses the Spirit's initiative and enablement, Right? That stresses what the spirit does. And then walking by the spirit stresses, now don't miss this, not what we do, but it stresses our resulting behavior. You got that? It stresses God does something in you and me. He gives us the grace. And then what God says is in that grace, we go, wow, look at Okay, I'm doing these things and I'm working hard. I'm working hard after it. But it's not because you're just working hard. It's because God has enabled you. He's first in the equation. To walk by the Spirit is an awareness of going everything that's happening is by God's grace. And now because I get that and I relish that and I hope in that, now I can work hard with all my might. Knowing it's not me. Knowing it's the Lord's grace. Notice what he does here. He says in verse 19, look at the works, guys. He says, now the works of the flesh are evident. That's one of my, I love that passage because I love how, don't you love when you're reading the Bible, you're spending time in the scriptures, you know, and you'll just, and things will be so plain in the scripture. This be street. I love how, you know, Paul, like, look, man, don't, don't be playing with me. You know when you fleshly. You know when you sinning. That's the point. We don't like that. Because we're like, yeah, I do. Yeah, you do. The works of the flesh are evident. I can justify it all I want when I'm arguing with my boo, when I'm being simple toward her, and I'm getting that fleshly moment, and I, I, I don't yield my rights, and I can make a good case. But let me tell y'all something. I know. 
I know when I'm choosing the flesh because they're evident. Either God's lying or we are. Sexual morality, impurity, he goes through the list, right? We just went through that. And then he gives you the fruit of the spirit. Again, the fruit of the spirit stresses that spiritual initiative. Now, when we talk about walking by the spirit, I want us to look at one aspect that is so clear in this scripture. Look at the focus on love. Okay? Walking by the spirit. Look at the focus on love. Let me keep rolling. All right. The scriptures say in verse 13, you there? He says, for you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Right? Verse 14, he says, you shall love your neighbor. The whole loss of field in that. Right? Goes on down. Talks about the works of the flesh. But then he talks about the fruit of the spirit. And we started off, right? But the fruit of the spirit, we have love. Right? As, as starting that whole journey. I want to propose to you that the works of the flesh and the fruit of the spirit are contrasted in verses 19 through 23, right? And that giving into the flesh and serving each other through love are contrasted in verses 13 and 14. My conclusion is that basically love is basically the same, almost synonymous, that posture and that fulfillment of being a loving person is almost synonymous with one walking in the spirit, That person is led by the spirit, bears the fruit of the spirit, walks by the spirit when they have a loving lifestyle. And I, say, I want to say a gospel-centered loving lifestyle because you know how we are. We can, well, I know what love is. You know, I've watched, you know, 90210, something weird. Yeah. Like, you know, I'm talking gospel-centered. Going and getting your cues from the Bible. Okay. But you... Here's the scariest thing for us as people. You can do amazing sacrificial works for people. You can care for people. And it can still be works of the flesh. Look what it says in Corinthians. Look at Corinthians 13. It says, if I have all prophetic powers and understand all mysteries, I do all this stuff. He says, if I have love, I can do... He says... What does it mean? Scripture says, you see that? Verse 3, if I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. This is huge because I'm going to ask myself, like, what are, we, what are we trying to do here? You know, we're asking you to, okay, what does it like to be a church member? Uh, we're, asking, we're, we're talking about the church government. What does it mean to submit? And all these things, the laundry list of stuff that, that, you're, that, that the Bible's asked of us, uh, that, that, that we want to be about. And, and, I, and I get nervous because we are in information overload in our culture. I mean, I'm blown away at the amount of blogs that, I'm, that I am kind of privy to have to read and the amount of information that people want me to read to stay in and know as a pastor and, and to try and seem like I'm cool in front of y'all and the amount of stuff that y'all are trying to read to try and validate your theological prowess toward me and each other. I'm blown away at how we have this, this rat race of information to show our spirituality. Which, de- which deduces in the fact that we think we're spiritual if we have information. And that's a lie from the pit of hell. That's not biblical. 
that the Bible is saying is not about information. You can, you can do BSF all you want. You can do K author all you want. You can go to, together for the gospel. You can do gospel coalition. You can come to the things that we do. And it doesn't mean much if there's not pleasing God by walking in the Holy Spirit. That what pleases God is that there are works from God. And there are works from God when they're infused by the enablement of the Holy Spirit. It's not about more information. We don't need more information. You know how I know it's about information for a lot of us because we can have all this stuff. You can be under teaching for years. And then as soon as an issue break comes up, you know, your house gets robbed. Your family comes against you because you moved into the hood for the sake of Jesus. Right? Somebody's talking about you in the body. You're prevalent about gossip yourself. You're experiencing jealousy. We're bitter. You have a chance to be unpopular because you can stand up for truth and you don't. When all these situations come right to our doorstep, we got all the information and we've been taught what to do, but we still don't do it. Why? Because we think information is the key. We would rather say, no, I got all this stuff, but I really want to seem right in front of these people. So I'm not going to speak truth into that group. I want to be known and nice and have people like me. I'm not going to confront that person. That's weird. We never ask, is that biblical? I want to propose that when we have a robust understanding about the Holy Spirit, when we say it's not about me, God has filled me, he has birthed me, and he's the one who's enabling me, and we live our life and we're prayerful in every aspect of what we do, where there's a sense of yieldedness to God's glory. Then, only then, being enabled by God, can situations that come up, we respond With a gospel attitude, we respond like God does. Guys, we are not asking you to do the list of the many weeks of the ecclesiology study. We are asking you to walk by the Spirit. That's what we're asking you to do. Walk with Jesus. Yield to him. Yield to the Lord. What are some ways that we can walk by the Holy Spirit? What are some key indicators to help us get on this path? I just want to give quick a quick list and then we're going to we're going to seek the Lord in prayer and have a time of communion. I, I, first we need to confess and agree. We need to confess and agree as a church and as individuals. I mean, the Christian life's hard, man. We get hurt and broken and we hurt others, man, and we're so we're we're so bankrupt. And that's the point of the gospel is is, is God wants you and me uh, to admit our lack. Um to admit that we have the deeds of the flesh and to allow that reality to have a devastating effect on your pride. That man, I'm jacked up and I don't know it all. And I need community, even though I don't want to hang with people or I talk too much and I need to shut up. 
to let it have a devastating effect on your pride that you are bankrupt in so many areas. When was the last time you actually confessed sin to somebody? When was the last time you confessed what you've done to somebody? You haven't done anything simple? Are you kidding? The deeds of the flesh are evident, the Bible says. I pray that we would be a humble church. Man, the people would be like, man, people at MacAv, they, they, like, they just, they're not woe is me. But it seems like there's, a, there's an understanding that, that, man, their hope is in Christ. And they yield to God. And they walk with the Lord. And they don't have it all together. We need to pray. Man, I pray that we would have a, a prayer that we say, man, would your, would your desires trump my flesh? Would you, Lord, would you give me a desire um, to see your ways as more exciting than the flesh? And in faith. Um, pray for sanctification. Pray uh, that our brokenness would not hinder the local expression, because when we do this, we're gonna there's so much brokenness in us. Pray for that. And then act to my to my man Josh's. There's five I have. Act is four. Act is number four. Because I want to say now we ask for the Spirit's enablement, and in his promise, do we work with all our might. In his promise, we say, Lord. And so now it's like we just realize the evidence of God's grace and we talk about it. We thank God about it. We brag about it. Look what the Lord has done. The Lord did this. Look what the Lord did in me. Look what the Lord's doing here. Look what it, your discussion should be. Lord, 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 Jesus, 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 Lord, Lord, Jesus, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you. Jesus, Jesus, Lord, Lord. Because he's doing it. We talked about this in Colossians. Man, we should, I'm praying for our church that we would be, man, it would just be so part, a parcel of the Lord's grace in us that we are just a thankful people. That we are thankful, extremely thankful, and that we can see the, the measures of God's grace in any aspect of our life. That we're extremely thankful for each other and what God has done and what he's doing. Guys, I sense God doing a great work in us. He's doing a lot. And I just want us to pause and say, man, all the stuff we're talking about, obeying your leadership, confessing and being a member here, getting in the word and experiencing God's grace as he washes with his truth. All this stuff we're talking about is so important. It means absolutely nothing if we do it in our own strength. It won't please Jesus. Let's ask the Holy Spirit to allow us to walk with him so that he may bring glory to Christ because we're being more like Jesus.